This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora, and assalamu alaikum. The Fireside Story Series has kicked off at Andua Mosque, and you are invited to be a part of it. Come and listen to members of Christchurch's Muslim community talking about their lives. On the first Sunday of every month until December 2021, three speakers will take the mic for 20 minutes at a time. They will speak for 10 minutes and answer questions for the other 10 minutes. The content will vary. The age of the speakers, the gender and the country of origin will all vary, but they will all be Muslims and their stories will be real and straight from the heart. So come along and hear our stories so you can better connect with us and we can better connect with you. If you would like to book a seat, please go to Eventbrite and search for Fireside Story Series and hurry, space is limited. And if you're a Muslim from Christchurch and would like to tell your story, please contact Brother Kai on 0279 408 320. So Christchurch, let's stay connected and keep the fire burning. Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim and welcome. Kia ora everyone and it's so good to see you here tonight and thank you very much for coming to, to the mosque. Um, and a special greetings to, to the non-Muslims who don't, don't come here regularly. Um, so that's fantastic. So we're, we're all amazing individuals, okay? It doesn't matter if we're the Prime Minister or the King or, or you, know, you name it. We're all as amazing as, as, as those people that I've just mentioned. Um, and we can't um, listen to everybody's story in this short time span, so we've just uh, sort of uh, got three, three speakers here tonight. Um, and I'll, I'll introduce those people in, in a minute. But I just wanted to quickly say um, a few things about why we're here. So the number one reason is for Muslims to get to know other Muslims, okay? So you can see the mosque was pretty much um, chock-a-block just a minute ago. Um, it's hard for us to get to know every single Muslim that comes into this mosque, but we should try um, to be more sociable and to get to know each other. So this is a chance for, for Muslims to get to know Muslims, okay? The other um, reason why this initiative's kicked off is for Muslims to get more confidence to speak in a forum like this, okay? Um, so we, we want our, our voices and our faces and our views to be become more mainstream, um, you know? And New Zealand's wanting us to step up so we should, we should step up and get ourselves out there in the community heard, heard more. So this is a chance for us to, to develop more confidence um, to do public speaking. Uh, the other reason is, um, of course, for non-Muslims to get to know Mus Muslims. Okay? So uh, there's, you know, we all have our preconceptions and our, our um, presumptions we make. Um, so this is a chance for you to get to know Muslims on a more intimate um, level. Uh, 
the last one is uh, yeah to, to for us to to network with Muslims to get to know to to, to get to know uh, non-muslims and to network and to to make friendships basically so yeah those are the reasons why we're here uh, it was a donation event tonight so if you have any coins or anything in your pockets um, there's a couple of little white buckets there's one at the front door and there's one just around here near the wash basin uh, near the sorry the water so if you have any coins just put them in there that's all going to Yemen tonight to um, an individual that's in real um, struggling situation over in Yemen right now. Well, let's let's meet and um, let's get started. Swahila's there. Give a round of applause, please. Assalamu alaikum. How are you doing tonight? Nervous? <laughs> because I'm nervous and excited at the same time, and I feel tremendously actually to be given this space and time to share a bit of my life journey with you because yeah in the hopes actually to inspire and empower some of you tonight storytelling i strongly believe and think that storytelling is a magical powerful tool that we can use to heal each other teach each other life lessons and pass on just life experiences, inspire others. And, but I think that what's more important than storytelling is story writing. Are we writing our stories or the script of our lives are being written by others to us? Are we acting, are we mere actors in our lives? Or are we writing, acting, and directing our stories? To be honest with you, <laughs> before coming to New Zealand, I was mere actor into my life. I was, you know, I was born in a small village in Algeria. Uh, I was obsessed by learning and reading. That knowledge was my top one priority in life. I did well at school, very well, let's say. <laughs> I went to university, I studied interpretation and translation. I was very much fond of languages, I'm still, I am. And I got a very good high paid job in a huge corporation, Ericsson International, if you know it. I climbed the ladder of the corporation, I worked in projects, then logistic manager, then change and improvement manager, very high paid job. I got to travel all around the world. It was very interesting. A lot of training, a lot of learning. I was happy about my life, to be honest. I got married, got three kids. My husband is here. <laughs> and yeah, I was happy, but something was missing. I was not fulfilled. I felt that something is missing in this dream life. I was not following my sole purpose. I, I always, you know, like to dream, you know, coaching, helping others, supporting. But, you know, when you have a high-paid job and you are into so much into conditioned into the matrix, it's hard to get out of it. Then the magic happened, and my husband got a work contract into New Zealand, and we managed to move here as a family, and we did. And I got it as a divine sign. 
that's my calling. I need to embrace my life purpose. I need to go after my dreams. I need to do something I really liked. Something that's not dictated by the society or by anybody, but something that's coming from within me. And in a lapse of, you know, in, in time frame of two years, I studied like a crazy, <laughs> like a crazy person. I got holistic transformational life coaching certificate, conscious parenting life coaching, access bar, energy healing, neuro-linguistic programming <laughs> practitioner, and the, and the list is very, very long. And I started my own business. I built and created the Metamorphosis Path Coaching Academy and Institute. It's about empowering women so they can step into their divinity and express their voice and do something actually of their lives. Being the doer of their life, the actor, director, writer of their stories rather than just getting the script and act it. So that was the beginning of it actually. And you know, it was not easy transitioning from a nine to five job. Very nice, comfortable salaries at the end of the month to you know, being the owner of your business. It was not easy at all. But because the desire was there and the passion was there, that was fueling my, my, the whole project and still is. I haven't done it alone, of course. My husband has always been supporting. I'm very grateful for him. And then, you know, when you embrace your life purpose, you will get to meet your soul tribe. Noraini is one of them. She's here. She is, fo she is on the same path, actually. And we, she helped me tremendously. Sister Maysoon was more one of them. Aliyah was one of them. You know, just to name few, but a lot of sisters believed in that and helped me along the way. And I'm very blessed and thankful for that. So uh, I designed some of my courses, all of them, and I started delivering them throughout the community, to, not just to the Muslim community, but to the wider Christchurch community and to actually all over New Zealand. One of them was called Stop Playing Small, <laughs> The Rebirth. Uh, what else? Uh, Conscious Parenting 101, it's in the making. Uh, awaken. What about awakening is when you start doing the work on yourself, the psychological work, you start transitioning unconsciously into the spiritual world. You know that we are, you get to know and witness every single second of the way that we are spiritual beings and that we are divine being, and we cannot get into throughout this life journey. We cannot navigate it alone, and we cannot do it all by ourselves. We need to connect with our soul tribe, and we need to strengthen our spirituality. There is no way we can do it alone. When you get humble in front of that fact, you get more strength, you get energized, and it gives you breath and strength and stamina to keep going along. And that's exactly what happened, actually. I'm in this phase where I'm transitioning, you know, towards strengthening spirituality into my personal life and creating more of spiritual content because I do know that we cannot empower each other until we get more, you know, empowered within ourselves and get the divinity, you know, change, strengthen more. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how I'm doing time-wise. <laughs> Am I good? Because I can go on more and more like that. Yes, and uh, the, the thing is, I have a few lessons to share with you. 
because that's the point actually sharing my life experience and giving you some nuggets you can take and you know just action in your life my first thing is strengthen the divinity within you and with the divine that's a must you can go nowhere without it the second thing is connect with your soul tribe the people that energizes you and make you know life easier and you know share the same purpose with you and the third and you know the most important thing actually for me right now that I keep telling to everybody who is willing to listen is get a mentor. Get a mentor. Life is too short to navigate it without a teacher and without a mentor. It happened to me actually. I, I wasted, you know, wasted, yeah, it's, it's always you gain things, but I could have embraced my life purpose earlier and could have like produced or delivered more added value, created more content, helped more, you know, be of service more. But, you know, I waited. There is a reason. There is a divine timing for everything. I do believe in that. But my number one advice for you tonight is get a mentor, a teacher, a life coach. It will give you the shortcuts and help you create a fingerprint before you pass. Thank you so much for listening. What an amazing woman. You'll give uh, Jacinta a run for her money, I'm sure. <laughs> wow, yes. All right, we'll keep rocking on. Another um, amazing individual, this is Khalid Salah, and he'll tell you a little bit about himself. Thank you, right? I prefer to be standing. It helps me to reduce my nervousness. Assalamu <laughs> alaikum, Kiora, and welcome everyone to here. Yeah, I'd uh, like to speak a little bit about myself. Uh, I don't know, I don't have that much amazing story as Sahila did. Really amazing. You're really, you were, you were very well prepared. I don't know what to talk now. <laughs> 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 <I'm sorry. laughs> oh, wow. It's really nice, speech. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, I was born in Yemen, Sana'a, the capital of Yemen. Uh, Sana'a, the capital of Yemen, is a very ancient city, dates back 3,000 years uh, ago. Uh, it's a UNESCO heritage. When I was born, I was that energetic kid, uh, and also my parents had a lot of trouble with that, so it's actually to contain me. Uh, you can actually see that from my hair. <laughs> That's going on. Uh, but I studied in a school called Khalid bin al-Walid, and then until I was in the level one of intermediate school, I got, I was a little bit more troubles. My parents couldn't keep up with me. So my uncle came in and I went to the village back in Damar city. Uh, it's 100 kilometers away from Sana'a. There around there were big farms, and lots of cows and cattle and things like that. I had all the freedoms to do. And uh, to be honest, my uncle was not that much controlling as my parents. <laughs> so I learned self-responsibilities. I started to like school, started to like people. To be honest, the village school had like three people in a class. And normally we were all together, like three, four different classes. Like here, uh, we were like one year intermediate, second year intermediate, which is like nine and 10 and things like that, all together in the same class. So yeah. It was easy for me to achieve good, good marks. <laughs> to be honest, like three of us, I was always number one. Uh, 
<laughs> that wasn't that much. After that, I went back to Sana'a for my high school. Uh, I was a little bit better. I cooled down, I think. It was a teenage transition period that I had to deal with. Uh, and uh, my parents were really happy about that, that I already had all the freedom. All the energy has been out. Uh, nothing left <laughs> has been drained. Um, I studied in Abdel Nasser School. Abdel Nasser School was the first high school in Yemen. was built after the revolution. It was named after, after the Egyptian president, Jamal Abdel Nasser. Uh, I was there. I became one of the high scoring students there. I got a scholarship to go and study in Malaysia. And again, a different word, a different community. Uh, I was really impressed by the kindness and humbleness of the Malaysians as I studied there. Uh, people, when I, when I went there, it was 2006. Uh, people were seeing us there and stare at us in a kind way because they haven't because we're, I was placed in a city called Sha'alam and and a university called UITM. Uh, I was one of the first international students who studies there. So when I walk into a class, a teacher, um, a lecturer has to speak in English. It wasn't a good experience to them <laughs> because they had to switch from Malay to English because I was there. Uh, graduated, went back to Yemen, did, uh, worked in oil and gas as a, an electrical engineer, uh, spent two years there, a good life, got married, now I have a wife and two kids. Uh, then the civil war in Yemen started, unfortunately, it was the start of the civil war, that's when my first daughter Hanin was born. I had to go back to Malaysia to do my master's studies. I was made redundant back. Uh, because the company I was working for was an international oil company, has to close, that I found another way is to complete my studies. While I was in Malaysia, I met this Singaporean lady. She, her parents are originally from Yemen, and she was working in, she is a Singaporean from a Yemeni father and a Chinese mother, and she lived also in Australia. She asked me for direction one, one day in Kuala Lumpur. She noticed my accent and she says, where are you from? I said, Yemen. You're like, oh, no way. My dad is originally from Yemen. <laughs> and then, yeah, we become a family friend, something like that. And she asked me what I'm going to do after my master's. I said, like, I don't know. Maybe I will go to Canada to do my PhD studies. She's like, are you sure? It's kind of a freezer there. Do you want to go? <laughs> I wouldn't go there if I were you. I was like, yeah, but Canadians are nice. She said, like, okay, why don't you go to New Zealand? I know that uh, similar behavior, nice people as well. I was like, New Zealand, where's that? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Mr. Google showed me where, where it is. Uh, looking at some few landscapes and Canterbury Plains and things like that, I was like, all right, that might be a good destination to go and study. Applied to scholarships, fortunately I got them, one from Waikato University, another one from the University of Canterbury to do engineering. I came to Christchurch first, because the scholarship was approved first from Canterbury. The other one was in the waiting list. So um, afterward, here I am, finished my PhD studies. Now I'm working as a production engineer for a company called SIFT. The same time I have my startup I'm working on developing uh, a fruit picking automation system, probably helps the Kiwi economy to develop uh, and sustain 
uh, fruit industry without the struggle of labor shortage. Uh, long, away, long way until we see a product coming, but it's progressing. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, just before we go into our final speaker, um, uh, just a message to, to any Muslim that are in the in the house. Or, um, if you have a story that you would like to, you, I know you have a story, but if you would like to share your story in the coming months, just come and speak to me um, later as we're having um, tea. Um, and if you know somebody that would like to share their story. Just come and put them in contact with me. Um, those flyers that were handed around before, that my details are there. Just send me an email. Just tell them to call me. Um, it'd be great to, to hear a sort of wide spectrum of, of um, from our community, sisters, brothers, old, young. You know, hopefully in the future we develop our our youth to be able to do something like this. All right. Assalamualaikum, Kilda. Wow, <laughs> Sohaila, amazing. Khalid is a fantastic start to it. Um, when I uh, first heard, of it, heard about these fireside stories, I thought, yep, awesome, I'll speak, no problems, I've got a story to tell, this will be really good. And then as we got closer to it, I started thinking about what would I, what would I actually talk about? And I was trying to get context about the opportunity and I thought I can go conservative and talk about you know, mother and father and upbringing and things like this, or I can talk to, to um, you know, to to my story. And I can't do anything but after the first two speakers. So um, I'm probably going to go off the notes that I had prepared because that was a conservative one and on the advice of my wife. But it won't be the first time I've haven't done what she wanted me to do. Yes, writing my own script tonight. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about um, something that I've come to know as a truth for me, which is the importance of the heart um, in relation to the to the mind and to the spirit. Um, you know, I think that probably for a lot of people, when we go about our um, day-to-day lives, it's, it's in our heads. You know, we're thinking logically about, um, you know, the cost uh, and the benefits of this, and we're processing things analytically in our heads. And what what is this heart? You know, what is this heart? Is it a pump, or is it something else? And then the spirit. You know, um, for for an atheist who, who don't believe in a, a divine creator, um, then what is the spirit? You know, that's that's something that religious people are. So for me, the truth for me is the acknowledgement that we have a mind, body, and spirit. Um, the heart, our minds, and and the spirit, and um, I've come to know that as a truth in my forty years, forty seven years of life. Um, I was raised as a Mormon, actually, um, so that's when God was introduced to me um, through my parents and going to church. Um, but then, as a teenager, I had a few questions about the faith and what happens with um, people who aren't Mormons and what have you. And anyway, as a teenager, I said, I said to mum, mum, I do believe in God. You know, I feel like when I pray, and there's this kind of connection there, and I feel like I, that's real, and I believe in God. 
um, but I don't consider myself to be a Mormon. And I said to my mum, I, I think that in my life it will be important that I adopt a, a, a religion, you know, something like church or something where I go to church, but at this stage I just want to grow up and be a teenager and I'll find my way there, um, God willing. So that's the way I approached life in those early years and um, alhamdulillah, you know, I'm sitting here today very, very comfortable and at peace um, being a Muslim. When I pray, um, it's the first thing that I give praise for is, is for um, guiding me to Islam and making me a Muslim. So alhamdulillah. But um, <coughs> yeah, my journey here, um, most, of my, most of my adult working life has been in, in the military and we've got um, Chris uh, from, from the army, um, Chris Pirtle, one of the um, padres here, and uh, I knew Chris uh, when I was in there towards the tail end of my career, and, and in fact it's got bearing on, 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 on my story this evening. I was, I was medically discharged from the um, military, and um, it was, it was partly to do because I was having these profound spiritual experiences um, which were incompatible with military life. Um, but it had such a profound um, effect on me uh, that I did spend some time in um, the high-needs ward of a, of a psychiatric unit. And uh, that happened in 2014. And then a year later, in 2015, and it was in 2016 that I... Um, was released from the military, and um, here I am. Fi- here I am, five years later, talking to talking to everyone here. But the um, that profound spiritual experience was it was such a blessing. It was in part what I wanted um, was to touch the, the, the divine or to have have these signs. And anyway, they, they, they did come to me, and um, uh, essentially what happened was uh, they were happening on such a frequent basis uh, during that sort of um, a heightened um, uh, time that this, I was going through this experience that it, it actually became a bit trippy. It's going like, I'm, I'm praying and I'm asking and I'm receiving. You know, I've, I've just seen the proof, and others were seeing this proof, the answers to these, to these prayers and for these um, guidance that I was asking for in these times. And, it, you know, when, initially you just pray for something, and when it happens, you know, but then when you, when you take, um, when you actually stop to acknowledge, hang on a moment, I've asked here, and I was answered, I asked here, and I was answered, and I asked here, and I was answered, then it becomes a little bit, well, you know, it, was, it got a little bit trippy. Uh, you know, it got very trippy, actually. <laughs> and um, hence my little stay in, in hospital. But um, I'll just share a little bit about it. Um, when I was 30, I was, I was helping out someone close to me who was um, uh, wanting to commit suicide. And I hadn't had any experience um, at all dealing with someone like that. But obviously they were dear to me. So I, I prayed before I saw this person about, please help me with the words, the actions, what, what to do here. And um, long story short, I was guided through that um, over about 10 days. And the person's still alive today. They're alive and well. Um, praise Allah. 
And, and I, that's when at the end of that sort of 10 days, I, I did acknowledge the fact that I've prayed and you've answered. And at that time, I was, I was a Muslim through my marriage, but I hadn't fully accepted Islam as, as the faith, as a practicing Muslim and doing everything that I should. So I was, I was in, a, in a journey there, and I basically, I, I was prayed um, for guidance about what faith I should adopt, and, and to be honest, I was quite open to what the, the dear Lord should say for me, whether it was Christianity or, or, or um, being a Muslim or other. But anyway, I was um, in a position of prostration, on my hands and knees with my head down on the ground and praying and and then you know the answer just when I asked that question about what faith it just sort of hit me that oh I'm I'm in prostration it's just like my wife and like I do when I pray you know and, and it was yes you know you you should be a Muslim and um you know I, I prayed and gave thanks for that there was a there was a special moment but at the end of that 10 days of working in that sort of crisis situation with the person who was um, wanting to commit suicide, that my, my experience that in the end overwhelmed me and led me to spending a little bit of time in hospital. Um, it went on for about another two weeks of basically continuous uh, praying and, and then basically a veil was being lifted and I was able to see the actual signs and guidances all around us every day, I believe, but it's whether you can tune into it. And I was certainly able to tune into it and, and see it, but in the end it became so trippy that, um, yeah, it was, it was overwhelming. But one of the things that led me there, and this is about the heart, is I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I normally sound sleeper, and, and I just sort of felt like um, the dear Lord was saying to me, saying to me, um, contemplate, um, contemplate about this moment. And so I hear, I'm lying there and I hear the sound of the clock. And the clock's going tick, 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 tick. And I thought, because earlier in my life I had contemplated about the importance of time, like time travel, and, and perhaps as time got some way tied to the explanation of creation and things. I was thinking about time, and then it was no, I was guided to uh, a thought that no, it wasn't um, time, importance of time, that sense, what else, what else goes tick, 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 and, and I realised my heart, my heart goes beat, 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 and, and in that moment, the, the revelation or the enlightenment that I, that I understood in the moment was that time is important, time is not important in relation to what someone else did in history or someone else is doing now, someone else is doing in the future. Time for me, as one of God's creations, is measured by my heartbeat. And when my heartbeat stops, my time and my opportunity on this life to make sense of what it was all about, it's over. Um, so it was a really quite a profound moment to, um, to have gone through that experience and to understand um, the importance of my heartbeat, and and, and there was there was a moment, but I, I also felt um, that you know the dear Lord wanted me to just think about the importance of the heart even a little bit more because I I really had a strong sense of intuition in my life, and um, I've always thought about this this intuition, but it seemed to fight what my brain wanted to do. But I was guided by this intuition, so I thought about it. 
And um, I I was contemplating that moment about two o'clock in the morning, about the heart, and it just came to me, I knew that love is a very important force in this in this world and universe, and that really, in the um, in the act of love, my mum had provided an egg, and my father had provided the sperm, and they physically came together in that moment, but that didn't create me. It was only through the grace of God breathing a part of His Spirit into into that and allowing um, it to happen that me physically could start start to develop. And I knew from my studies as a physical training instructor that the first organ in the body to develop is not um, not the brain, it's the heart. And the importance for, for me, which I came to understand in that moment, was that God has always been with us. He's always guiding us. He was with us up in heaven before we came down here. And then when we're down here, even in the womb, he hasn't left us blind. He's in there uh, with us, basically the, the heart, communicating to us through the heart. And in relation to the brain, I could see that it's not until you know, you're born and then you know, a, a little kid a little baby, they're not held responsible for decisions they make. They, you know, it's not. It's actually in Islam, it's at um, puberty that you're held accountable for your actual um, mental decisions and things, and you'll be held accountable on the day of judgment for that stuff. But before then, you're naive essentially. Um, but what that meant for me as an adult, trying to understand how. I've got my brain, and if you disagree that the heart has any purpose or anything, it didn't make sense to me, but I, I could see then that I could understand intuition through, um, you have your heart, which is receiving guidance, you have your brain, but your brain is actually, if you look at it, 10 months uh, behind the heart, just in the um, physio- you know, through to birth, and then if you were, say, 12 years or 10 years old by the time you can actually be held accountable for your decisions, you're 10 years and 10 months behind the guidance that you're receiving through your heart. So um, anyway, it was it was a big one for me because I was a really big believer in mind, body and spirit, the importance of all those blessings, but it was just sort of understanding it. And I, let, I was through the experience that I continued to have over those couple of weeks, I saw that you don't just discard what the brain's thinking because you're being guided by the divine through the heart. No, they work in unity um, together. And I'll finish up here just by um, reciting from, from my times in the army uh, uh, a prayer which was our core collect, which goes, um, O oh God, whose will it is that mind, body, and spirit should work in unity to thy glory. Help us of the Army Physical Training Corps to serve thee in our work and ever to remember that the body must be the servant of the mind and the mind the servant of the spirit and that only as they obtain their strength from thee can their purpose be fulfilled and thy name be glorified. Amen. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that um, profound story. Yeah, um, you know, as a 
I don't want to say too much, but uh, mental health, um, you know, discussions, particularly in this mosque, probably this, I think it's the first time I've ever heard um, people talk about their mental health. Um, and you know what a lot of our community have been through. So um, many, many individuals have, um, you know, post-traumatic stress, et cetera, et cetera, from that event. But regardless of that event, there's, they could have, that everybody goes through their own, their own little, um, uh, you know, struggles with mental health. So well done for, for um, sort of discussing that. That's excellent. But, and also I wanted to say massive um, thank you for, for everyone for coming out tonight. So give yourself a round of applause. Yeah, and um, yeah, long live um, the Fireside Story Series. Um, share it with your friends and uh, we'll see you next month. First Sunday of every month, we'll, we'll be doing it all again for seven sessions. So we'll, the last one will be December, inshallah. Kia ora and assalamu alaikum. The Fireside Story Series has kicked off at Andua Mosque and you are invited to be a part of it. Come and listen to members of Christchurch's Muslim community talking about their lives. On the first Sunday of every month until December 2021, three speakers will take the mic for 20 minutes at a time. They will speak for 10 minutes and answer questions for the other 10 minutes. The content will vary. The age of the speakers, the gender and the country of origin will all vary, but they will all be Muslims and their stories will be real and straight from the heart. So come along and hear our stories so you can better connect with us and we can better connect with you. If you would like to book a seat, please go to Eventbrite and search for Fireside Story Series and hurry, space is limited. And if you're a Muslim from Christchurch and would like to tell your story, please contact Brother Kai on 0279-408-320. So Christchurch, let's stay connected and keep the fire burning.